beacons. Beacons of hope. What does it mean to be a beacon of hope? Well, the reason that we called this series the Beacon Series and the reason that we've, we've had the, the flyers made and that we're encouraging people to give them out is because um, we were having a conversation about Advent, uh, myself and Ian, in the office some time ago and we sort of said, what, what are we going to do? Are we just going to go with the, the, norm, the normal Advent series where you, you cover the four subjects and talk, or should we do something different? And in the end, we decided that actually it's, it's right. It's right to, to um, observe the, the, four, um, the four Sundays leading up to Advent. It's important to look back and prepare ourselves spiritually for Christmas because there's so much else going on and we say it every year. It's a very busy time. We get very um, distracted. But it's good to, to stop and to remind ourselves of the importance of spiritual preparation. And so today, the full title of today's, um, today's service is Beacons of Hope, Being a People of Hope in a Cynical World. Now, we went with, we went with the title of Beacons, not because it's the time of year when half the time it feels dark and miserable and actually the idea of a beacon shining is quite an attractive image. We went with that because... Jesus made seven statements, seven I am statements. He pointed to himself. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate, or the door in some translations. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. And I am the true vine. Now, All of those statements are packed full of theological challenges and nourishment and they're brilliant and any one we can take and we can look at and we can can examine it and we can find so much in there. But there's only one that Jesus sort of twisted slightly and turned it back on us. Jesus famously said, I am the light of the world. But he also, in Matthew 5.14, said, you are the light of the world. So it's kind of a, a shared statement. Jesus has ascended back into heaven. His Holy Spirit is, is amongst us and, and in us and uses us and, and, and changes things and, and is the, the power of God on earth. But we, we are the light of the world. We are the ones who, who reflect the goodness and the, the attractiveness of God in this world today. We are the beacons that shine for him. We want to be known as attractive people. Beacons, historically, are, have been used for many things. You can still go and find beacons that were set up hundreds of years ago on cliff tops around the south coast of England to warn people of the coming invasion from the Spanish, the Spanish Armada, or the French. They often used to pop over as well, didn't they? You see, these beacons were lit as soon as a, an invasion fleet was spotted and they'd be seen all along the coast and they'd be, um, as soon as one was lit, the, the one either side of it would be lit and then 
before you knew it, you'd have a whole, a whole line, a whole coastline, which had beacons that could be seen for miles. And they, they, they were seen from, from inland, they were seen from the sea. It, it allowed navies to be prepared, armies to be readied. It allowed people to get ready. But if those beacons weren't lit, then the country was vulnerable. If we don't shine brightly in our communities, shine brightly as Christians, then all those around us are vulnerable because we're not doing the job that we're needed to do. So what does it mean to be a beacon of hope? Well, hope is something that we're not always very good at. Um, I am a big athletics fan and when Mo Farah was um, at his peak in, what, I, th- I don't know if it's the London Olympics, I think it was, um, the, the 5,000 metres started and he'd already won the 10,000 metres. There was a big, um, big weight of expectation on him and people were hoping, really hoping that he was going to win his second gold medal, which of course eventually he did. But he, he, he always used to do this thing where the starter's gun would go and there'd be, I don't know, 20 or 30 blokes lined up on the start line and the, the, the gun would go and he would just wait, just for a second or two, he'd just wait for everybody else to move off. Because at the start of a race, especially something like the Olympics where there's a lot of pressure, it's not unusual for there to be a little bit of argy-bargy, maybe someone gets tripped, maybe someone gets uh, spiked in the leg or something like that and you're then, you, it's, you have to carry that for the rest of the race. And so quite sensibly, he knew in the first couple of laps, it didn't matter if he just let everybody get a few yards ahead and then just drift along at the back. That was what he did. And it worked very effectively. But I always remember when that gun went and when everybody else went off and Mo Farah positioned himself right at the back of the pack, one of the people that I was watching the race with went, oh no, he's at the back already. Oh, he's obviously tired after the 10,000 and, and oh dear. And they moaned. And I thought, one, just 30 seconds ago, you were confidently predicting that he was going to win, that no one could touch him, that he was, he, was, he was top of his game. And now, you're suddenly saying he's rubbish and that he's at the back and he's slow and he doesn't stand a chance. Hope just evaporated just like that rather than someone saying, I know he's at the back, but I still believe he's going to do this. We're not always very good at hope. But as I said earlier, biblical hope is very different to the hope that people talk about in the world. When we talk about the weather or something, something like that, we often just come out with these whimsical statements. I hope it doesn't rain this afternoon. It's the Christmas market. I hope I set the oven before I came out. These things that we, we hope. But it's a very empty hope. When we look at scripture, we are reminded that hope and faith are very closely and very clearly linked. Biblical hope is an absolute unwavering belief We've already read this morning the the writer of Hebrews saying that faith is being sure of what we hope for. Sure of what we hope for. Not just uncertain, not just wouldn't it be nice if, 
but being absolutely sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But of course, hope isn't easy. It's not easy to be a beacon of hope. It's not easy to go out into the world and say, I believe in Jesus. And someone says, well, great, I've lost my job yesterday. How's Jesus going to help me? And straight away we can feel, oh, right, okay. You see, hope is not an easy thing to, to express. Sometimes we can be very irritating if, if we're just eternally optimistic. If we just have this stubborn refusal to accept that bad things happen. But of course, hope should acknowledge that bad things do happen. In Psalm 42, we see David talking to himself. He has one of these moments where he's allowed himself to get a little bit low. He's allowed things to get on top of him. And he has one of these moments where he gives himself a talking to. Do you ever find that? Sometimes you have to look in the mirror and say, right, stop it. You are so fortunate. You've got so much that God's given you. Stop being so miserable about this this one situation. It will be fine. Be grateful. I, I, I find that sometimes I need to do that. Because we can all sometimes, sometimes our hope can waver. But David says this, he's, he's, he addresses his own soul. He says, why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why, why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. I love that. This is David looking at his own soul. Why are you so downcast? This is David taking himself to one side and having a quiet word with himself. Sort your life out. You don't find that phrase in the Psalms, but it's pretty much what he was saying. Sort your life out. Stop being so downcast, so negative, so ungrateful. Why why am I so disturbed by this? And then he reminds himself, he tells himself, put your hope in God. Not in the armies, not in the wealth, not in the palaces, not in the power. Put your hope in God. So hope is not always easy. And we do need to remind ourselves from time to time where our hope lies. It lies in a saviour who suffered, a saviour who who knew what it was like to be mocked and tormented, a saviour who was born into pretty unpleasant circumstances, in, a, in the presence of animals and filth. A saviour who had to be taken away from his birthplace pretty soon after he was born to escape being killed. He was a refugee for the first few years of his life. A saviour who was constantly, as soon as he, he was baptised, was, took himself off into the wilderness and was tempted. A saviour who, who, despite the miracles and the healings that he performed, was still challenged and challenged and challenged by people who doubted him, people who accused him of being a blasphemer. A saviour who went to the cross, went through the agony of what, of what was inflicted upon him. Hope is not always easy. And so it's all right to be, as David was, honest with ourselves. 
to acknowledge that actually we can't go out into the world and, and shine a great big smile every day. But we can go out into the world and persevere and refuse to be downcast. To thank God for the blessings he's given us and to acknowledge that despite how things might look or feel in our lives at any given moment, he is sovereign. He is in control. Because of course, hope is rewarded. Isaiah 40 verse 31. Isaiah writes, Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Isaiah, again, just like David, acknowledging that actually we all feel it sometimes. Things get on top of us. We just feel drained. We can feel empty. But we can draw strength from God. We can take time with him. This week I had... um, I had to go back to college this week, which was, which was nice. It was nice going to college without deadlines looming over me. Um, and I went up there on, on Thursday afternoon and met with a, a, couple, of, uh, a couple of tutors and had, a, had a, a progress check, really, with them. And then I met with some of, the, some of my former um, uh, cohort. It was lovely. It was really good. And then on Friday we had a spirituality day where there was a couple of... A couple of people came in and spoke about Christian spirituality. It was really, really good. But what was lovely was on Thursday afternoon, there was a, um, a, an hour and a half between meetings where I had nothing to do. And so I went up to the room that I had, and um, Spurgeon's is, is it's lovely, but the rooms aren't exactly the Ritz. And um, I sat there and I thought, I've got nothing to do. And so for an hour and a half, I read Scripture. We don't often get an hour and a half in our lives where there is nothing. The phone's not ringing, emails aren't coming in, people aren't knocking on the door, we haven't got to be somewhere or collect someone or do something. Instead, we can just think, I've got nothing to do. As a minister, part of the spirituality day that I had on Friday, we were told that we have to get into the discipline of making time to do that. And it's something that I've not done. And it's something that I certainly didn't have time to do when I used to work up in the city. We all have such busy lives. But actually, we should make God more of a priority in life. Each and every one of us. We should start with the, I've got 24 hours today. I've got got 23 hours to give to everything else, but I'm going to keep that one hour for God. Whether it's made up of of, of three 20 minute blocks throughout the day or, or whatever it is I'm going to give that time to God it might be half an hour but it's so important that every day we give time to God because that that is where our hope lies that is where our belief lies that is the foundation of our very being because God rewards hope Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, will soar on wings like eagles. So hope is an integral part of the Christian character. Going back to Romans, 
we see Paul talking about hope. He says, We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So for Paul, in order to have true hope, in order, to, in order to fully understand what it means to hope in Christ. It has to start with suffering. You see, if we don't have suffering, if we don't ever suffer, if we don't ever have hardship, if we don't ever want for something, then it means that we've, we've got everything. We've got everything that we need. And it means that we don't have any troubles at all. I've never met anybody who hasn't gone through some sort of suffering in life. And of course, going through suffering is horrible. No one likes suffering. But Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings. Elsewhere, he says, we should be joyful always. Because no matter what we are going through, the worst thing that can happen to us is death. And yet death is the point at which we enter the kingdom of God. There is nothing on this earth for Christians to fear. Why do we have hope? We have hope because there is nothing for us to fear on this earth. Everything, everything on this earth, God is in control of. He's given us a path to salvation. Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Jesus made all those I am sayings. He's pointing to himself, follow me. Follow me. And through me, you can know your heavenly Father. That's where our hope, our belief, our faith, our absolute utmost certainty lies. That's why we can go out into the world and be a beacon of hope. It's not saying nothing bad ever happens. It's not pretending that everything's fine. But it's the attitude with which we go through those things. How we conduct ourselves in the suffering. Do we rejoice in our sufferings? I can honestly say that the hardest suffering that I ever went through was when Joe and I were trying to start a family. And we were told after several different um, procedures we'd been through together, we were told that we, we weren't able to start a family. And it was horrible. Joe had always desperately wanted to be a mother. I wasn't that fussed, to be honest, about being a father until some, suddenly someone said, you can't. And then I realised, and I was quite surprised, that I desperately wanted it. Being told it wasn't going to happen was horrible because you sort of thought, this is, this is what we're meant to do. This is what is going to happen. For about a year, Joe and I suffered. We felt tormented. It was a time when all of our, our friends were going through, um, that they were, they, were, they were getting having babies like they was going out of fashion. 
it seemed that every week someone was saying, oh, we're having a baby, we're having a baby. Brilliant, great. And Joe and I didn't tell people what we were going through because we wanted to share good news because we believed that one day there would be good news but we just couldn't understand how we were going to get there. We didn't want to share bad news. And so we kept on, Joe kept on going to baby showers and, and I kept on you know, going and wet, wetting babies' heads and things like that and being really happy for people. But actually we were suffering. But do you know what? I can honestly say that throughout that time, throughout that time, we prayed together for the first time, regularly. Every single night we were on our knees praying together. We read scripture together. We felt so much closer to God. And every time that there was a, a knockback, that there was confirmation of what the previous consultant had said and it was bad news and it was every single time that happened, we, we just felt closer and closer and closer to God. And then eventually, Timothy came along. And I remember sitting down with a consultant who said, I've been through all your results, I've double-checked everything, I cannot explain why you and your wife are having this baby. It makes no sense, but I'm really pleased for you. You see, going through that suffering, I wouldn't say we rejoiced in our suffering by saying, hey, guess what, everybody? This is brilliant. God's putting us through this really horrible time. It's brilliant. That's not rejoicing. Rejoicing in that instance, was a husband and wife coming closer and closer together and drawing closer and closer to God through that. It was a very quiet form of rejoicing, but it was rejoicing. Because through our suffering, we persevered, it improved our character, and we came to know what it meant to put all of our hope in God. Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given us. Hope is a gift. Hope is a gift that God has given us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching as we go into this, this Advent period, as we start thinking about what it means to be beacons of, of, of hope, of joy, of peace and of love, let's encourage one another. Let's talk to one another. Let's share our sufferings together. Let's build up one another's characters. Let's persevere together. Let's come closer as a, as a family, as a body of, of, of Christ with him at the very centre. Because through that, through drawing closer together with God, 
we hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. We hold unswervingly. There is nothing that's going to make us go off on a tangent, nothing that's going to turn our heads. We are absolutely focused on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews identifies hope as the, a basic requirement of a church family. If we all share the same hope, then we all start from the same place. Then we're all, we're all professing the same faith. We're all acknowledging the same God who is faithful. And we can all encourage one another together. We can all look out for one another. We can all come here and, and, and know that we are in a fellowship that loves and looks after and cares for each other. As we make our mistakes and get things wrong, we know that we've got a church that will forgive us. Because none of us are perfect. We will get things wrong from time to time. But we love and we forgive because our hope is in the one who allowed us forgiveness. When we look back at the Old Testament, we see demonstrations of hope. We see the, we see the Israelites being taken into slavery 400 years Generation after generation lived in slavery before God called Moses to lead them out. When we look at the Minor Prophets, we see, we see prophecy after prophecy about Jerusalem being destroyed, about, about Judah and Israel being taken into captivity. And this prophet, prophet after prophet come along and say, people, listen. And the people didn't listen. And so eventually, towards the end of the Minor Prophets, we, 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 see, we see the result of disobedience, the result of people giving up hope. But we also see in the ruins of Jerusalem, we see Micah, in the ruins and the rubble, as the city was beginning to be rebuilt, as people were starting to re-establish themselves, we see Micah saying, As for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Saviour. My God will hear me. We wait too today. We, we wait for, for God to, to make a move. We wait for Jesus to return but until that day comes, we can go out into the world and we can make a difference. We can, we can hope. We can have an absolute steadfast hope. We can be beacons of hope. We can be the people who, in a crisis, we don't lose our heads and start panicking. We stay calm with a non-anxious presence. Because we know that despite all the calamity going on around us, God's in control. We're the ones who can hear bad news and, yeah, shed a tear. There's a time for that. Of course there is. There's a, there's a season for all things, but we're the ones that, that never lose sight of the fact that God is in control.
our hope is in him. We are absolutely sure that what we believe in is true. Just to finish with this morning, before we share communion together, I just want you to imagine you've got a friend who, really nice person, but since they were born, they've had a paralysis. They can't walk, can't move, can't feed themselves, need to be dressed, need to be fed, need to be carried everywhere. And you read online about <coughs> a new treatment. A doctor who's, who claims to have this medical marvel. People say, not so sure about that. But you love your friend. You love your friend, and so you think, well, why not? It's worth a go. And so you get three others and pick him up. Transport, London transport is full. You can't get a lift anywhere. You have to walk. And so you walk mile after mile after mile carrying this person. And then eventually you get to, you get to the building where this doctor is talking about this new super cure. And it's crowded and you can't get in. Someone says, there's a fire escape there. Just try and get in the back door. So you go up the fire escape carrying this friend and eventually you find yourself coming out of a little door on the roof. <coughs> and you think, this is pointless. This isn't going to get us in. We have to go and join the queue or maybe just give up. And someone says, no, this is our friend. This guy says that he's got, he's got the cure. We've come this far. It's, this is worth it. And starts hacking away at the, the tiles and eventually makes a hole and pulls rubble out and, and exposes a, a hole through which you lower your friend. And he lands on the floor at the feet of Jesus. You see, that story demonstrates hope. Those friends that we read about in the Gospel, they didn't know if Jesus was just some charlatan or whether he was actually who he claimed to be. But their hope was in Jesus. They'd heard about him, they'd heard about what he claimed to be able to do and they did something about it. I haven't got a friend in that situation. But I've got plenty of people who don't know Jesus. I've got plenty of people that I would love to be able to just wrap up in a blanket and carry them to church and plonk them down here and say, listen, listen to scripture. Listen to the prayers. Listen to the witness of the testimony of so many people who have seen Jesus working in their lives. This world needs Jesus. This is a cynical world that we live in. 
Cynicism is rife. And that's why so many people dismiss faith, dismiss Jesus without even considering who he is, without even looking at scripture, without even allowing themselves to be challenged. Because people are so cynical. But as Christians, we can fight that cynicism by being beacons of hope, by focusing ourselves on our God and remembering that whatever we go through, he is in control. As for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Saviour. My God will hear me. I'm going to pray for us. And while I do that, I'd just like you to just have a think about any time in your life when God has answered a call. And when you've been going through suffering and you've called out and then you've been uplifted and encouraged because your prayer has been answered and you've looked back and you've rejoiced because of the suffering that you've had to endure and the way that you've come through it with God. God gets us through so much in life and it's important that we share things together. After communion, we're going to have an opportunity to... um, Sorry, before communion, we're going to have an opportunity to share experiences of hope, experiences of expectation... So, as we sing Jesus, Hope of the Nations, just have a think and see if there's anything that you'd be prepared to share, to encourage one another as a body of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and thank you that when we put our hope in you, we, we, there is no greater thing that we could do There is nothing more solid and assured than our God. Father, help us to to be beacons of hope in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, wherever we happen to be, Father. Help us to be be beacons, to be the people who stand out, the people who are, are noticeably different in the way that we approach situations, in the way that we react and respond to provocation. When, when everyone around us is losing their heads, Lord, help us to be the ones that, that stay calm, that have that, that peace. Help us to be the ones that turn to you rather than our own strength, that focus on you, that call on you, that draw near to you. Father, thank you for the gift of hope. And thank you for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, Amen.